welcome back. I'm joined today, March 23rd, by Spencer Powell, the president of Builder Funnel and the host of Builder Funnel Radio. Spencer, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I don't often give the date of when we are interviewing guests, but <laughs> I think today's date may be important for people to know when we had this chat for full context. Uh, <laughs> there's a few things happening in the world today uh, that are making things different and, and interesting. Um, we've got uh, a health crisis. We've got a potential financial crisis caused by said health crisis. Plus, maybe it was time for a correction anyway. Um, and then we've also got a, an employment issue. Uh, so everyone, I think, has said, and, and I'll repeat uh, again, that this certainly is not a repeat of the 2008-2009 financial crisis, which how does even let us into. However, um, it might be similar but different in terms of ultimate impacts. Uh, but uh, we've done a ton of different stuff, uh, webinars and podcasts and Facebook Lives. But uh, Spencer, what are you, just curious what your thoughts are on the current situation and, and what you think um, builders and or remodeling companies should be thinking about right now? Yeah, it, it's certainly uh, wild times. Uncertainty is, is prevalent. And, you know, I, I guess I've always taken the approach of there's always going to be things that we have no control over. And so I, I tend to just jump into, you know, reactionary, like, how do we start problem solving mode? <laughs> you know? So, okay, this is the current state. What are we dealing with? Okay, what are our best next moves? You know, and so that's just been our general approach here as we've been thinking about how we want to respond, how we're talking to clients about how they can respond. And, and ultimately, I feel like a lot of it's just been uh, brainstorming. You know, we're all, there's no roadmap for this one. You know, we're all in it together trying to figure it out. And so, um, you know, I think some of the big things that have popped up as like really great ways to keep the ball moving are just uh -huh. leveraging, you know, video conferencing, you know, and, that, and you can use that at so many different levels. It's not a, you know, you guys have probably all heard that at this point, so I won't you know, be the dead horse. But I mean, it really is a powerful tool because it allows you to connect with prospects, with customers, anybody in your pipeline, uh, but at a deeper level. Um, and almost because of the situation we're in, more people are willing to jump on a video conference, whereas maybe, you know, 60 days ago, people were like, yeah, that's okay. I'll just do audio. You know, <laughs> I yeah. don't want to get in front of the camera, right. but now people are open to it. So I think you can leverage that you know, whether that's, you know, giving people tours uh, through a model or just having that initial conversation, um, just getting that sales pipeline moving and keeping it moving, even if it's moving slower, I think is just one of the biggest things. And it's and it's not to be overlooked. I think it's really powerful. Yeah. In fact, I got an email just about 10 minutes before we hopped on here from a builder who said, hey, I just want to you know, help me troubleshoot this. We're getting some pushback because they're still offering in-person visits. I'm not certain from the email, they may even be operating their models basically as status quo, obviously less foot traffic coming in the door, but they were wondering, how would you respond to people who are questioning, why are you guys even open? So I think that's just interesting that, um, you know, it's like you were saying, it's the same reaction that people might've had to hopping on video. Like, why would you ask me to do that? That's weird. <laughs> and now it's like, why are you asking me to come visit? in person. That's weird. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how fast things can change. Yeah. So. Yep. And I think it all, it all also just depends on 
And and we're real hesitant. We don't like to play the the what if crystal ball game so much here. You know, there, there's a couple different likely scenarios as to how this plays out. It's either status quo for the most part. This is kind of just the flu, is your opinion, and and you're seeing strong traffic and interest, and so you're going to just plan to stick on uh, keep keep things as normal. You think it's going to be really bad but short lived, or you think it's going to be bad and long lived, and um. You know, that's the one thing I keep trying to tell marketers, similar to how I, I often tell them, you need to find the right company you should be working for. You know, if you work for a home building organization or any organization that doesn't value marketing and you're a marketer, you might want to consider if that's the best long-term fit for you. Um, you, you just can't run against the whole cor- corporate culture of an organization or an owner who doesn't believe in the value of what you're doing long-term. Kind of the same thing. The marketer might have an opinion of what's going to happen but if the rest of the company doesn't agree and is asking them to shift course, like I think there's some danger in there of, of not just miscommunication, but um, misaligned goals where a company might say, I want you to continue pressing on as if it is normal, even though you might think that's not an appropriate use of funds or energy, you know, balancing how, how you, I, I just think not enough people are talking about this internally. Everyone's reaching out to others and seeing what others are doing. But I have a feeling that there's not enough conversations within organizations as to what their game plan really is from top to bottom. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, um, you know, you're right. If the organization isn't valuing marketing, it's always going to be tough to thrive in that environment. And I mean, the conversation that we're kind of starting is, hey, whether this is short lived or not, it's, it's typically the companies that market through low times that come out the other end a lot stronger. And so, yeah, maybe you have to make some adjustments to your marketing strategy. You may not be able to keep uh, pushing as hard, but I mean, ratcheting it way down or cut, you know, axing it completely, I think those end up hurting you long-term. And so I think there's always that balance of, what am I trying to do in the short term to hit my current goals, objectives, and milestones? What am I doing to hit my mid and long-term goals? And I think oftentimes we, we let the fear get to us. And so we make these really drastic short-term moves and we forget about that, hey, we're we're probably planning to be in business for the next five, 10, 30, (laughs) 50 years, whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. Why are we making these decisions around the next 30 days? And so I think it's just, I'm not saying there's one right answer in there because I think it's unique to each company, but I think just thinking about that and going, okay, how do we balance, you know, short-term cash, short-term, like what's actually happening, but not forget about that things will return. Um, Typically that's how things work. They go in cycles. Right. And so we can't forget about that and not position ourselves to be set up for success later, whatever later is. Yep. Gary Keller has a great book called shift and, and he talks about, it's about stealing market share in the downtime so that when the market rises back, you went from 5% market share to 20. And so you, as, as the tide rises and rises all boats, you're going you're gonna to be rising on 20% of the market versus just the original five. And I think there's something to that. However, the, the interesting thing I think though, is that it sounds very easy to say that. I find that increasing sales in a great market doesn't take that much skill. Increasing market share in a down market takes a lot of skill, like applied skill and hard work. And that's where Again, culturally or personally, some people can't make that adjustment. Even if they know what to do, they're like, man, this takes so much more work than it used to do. Man, this is so different than, and 
instead of just getting around that and getting done what they need to, they're like, but I, I used to sell and that used to work and all that, all that <laughs> other. So any last thoughts are we don't, I, we need to back up and actually introduce you and, and your company, but <laughs> any other parting thoughts before we switch gears? You know, n- nothing, I, uh, you know, mind blowing or anything like that. But I, I do like what you said though, because I think for anybody listening, um, you know, if you're, you know, if you put your worker bee hat on, like now is one of the best times to separate yourselves from your competition, Absolutely. you know, because yeah. you can grind it out, put a little extra effort in. It's easy to be at home and kind of fall out of routine. Obviously you have to change your routine, but you fall out of that like higher functioning, higher productivity, or like you said, you can kind of coast a little in a good market and still do pretty well. So everyone that was maybe a little comfortable is now feeling uncomfortable. So, you know, I don't know, put your, put your nose to the grindstone a little bit and you might look up in six or 12 months and be sitting in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Or even we had people ask this on our last episode where we had open Q and a, it was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to lose my job? And it's like, well, not if you're one of those worker bees, who's not just working in your area, but able to spread your wings and help support other areas. And just, you know, it's that fight or flight mode. And a lot of people, they don't necessarily go into flight mode. They just go into pure on, panic, uh, stuck mode. Like I, I just totally. don't, I, I can't move in any direction. Okay. All right. Let's back up. Um, so Spencer, you're with builder funnel president of the company. Um, how did builder funnel come about? How did you find home building as an industry and get involved? We, we know that, you know, like everyone else, once you're in here, you never leave. It's, it's addictive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but how did you, how did you get involved in, in home building and remodeling? Yeah. You know, I actually, came into the space, I mean, through family, um, which I know happens, happens often. Um, Mm -hmm. but through, through a different angle, um, my, I guess both sides of my family come from kind of entrepreneurial backgrounds. So on one side of my business, um, they've been in the, the building business had remodeling divisions at different times, handyman divisions out in the Seattle area, um, property management, uh, and ultimately actually built up some senior housing communities, but they've been in that whole world for about 110 years. So it goes back to my wow. great grandfather. Yeah. And, uh, my grandfather really, uh, accelerated the company quite a bit. Um, my dad was involved with the business. Um, and then actually all of his siblings at one point or another, he has two younger brothers, two older sisters, Um, but really in more recent times, my uncles were the ones that eventually bought the business and ran it. My dad moved us out from Seattle in the mid nineties and bought my other grandfather's business, which was a direct mail business. And so where I kind of came into the, the whole puzzle piece, I guess, is, uh, it was basically in the great recession. Um, my dad had gone to a direct mail conference and they said, Hey, guess what? Direct mail it's going off a cliff. So you need to change your company and transform. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I remember because he had, he had been out in Seattle, I think for a board meeting or something. And I was actually out there doing some cost cutting for the business. Uh, and, and I had started a social media company and was just doing that at, at night and on the weekends and stuff. And he and I were talking, he goes, yeah, I just went to this conference and I'm going, basically going back home and I'm going to rebrand the company. And, we got to get into digital marketing. And so we were talking, he's like, do you want to just kind of do what you're doing with social media and come over here and help me figure this all out? And uh, I hadn't made it super far. I had several clients and was, was working on some things, but it was like, Oh yeah, that sounds like fun. Cause 
direct mail didn't really sound like fun to me. And so <laughs> this was kind of a, a way to merge those. And uh, our first client ended up being my uncle's business as well as our own business because we needed, we felt like we needed to practice what we were preaching. And so um, we helped them build their remodeling division from about 2 million to 5 million coming out of the recession. And um, nice. we said, hey, I think we can help some other companies do this, you know, and um, we didn't specialize initially. Um, as with many things, you figure out a lot of things along the way. But ultimately, mm-hmm. after about, I don't know, three years or maybe four years, uh, Builder Funnel was born just because that was over half of our clients were in the space. They were either builders or modelers or contractors. And we just said, hey, let's just go 100%. And we started turning outside work away. Um, awesome. That was and, really the, the early innings. Yeah. And direct mail and social media have more in common than I think most people understand in that. Yes. <laughs> you know, a lot of the targeting options that you have, it's kind of like, this is a, I, I always love strange analogies when they come to me. I'll never forget when I was in college, I was taking a photography course and my photography professor was playing around in the computer lab with the film scanner and the computer. And one day he came, he came to me all excited and he goes, Kevin, you'll never, you'll never guess, but like all those buttons in Adobe Photoshop, those are all have direct correlations to what you do in the darkroom. And he was super excited. He's like, <laughs> like you can do darkroom stuff on the computer with Photoshop. It's not like different stuff. It's the same stuff. And I was like, yeah, I know that exactly. Right. Like you, you can, it's exactly what it's meant to do. And I think a lot of uh, the ways that we target and, and even in, in terms of just direct response, a lot of builders view social media as another form of direct response. Some, some certainly view it as heavily, a branding vehicle, but there's, there's a lot more connection there that I think people give credit. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you get, get down to the, you know, the targeting of demographic information on both of those direct mail is still one of the most powerful, you know, channels for, if you want to get super targeted and get Mm -hmm. a very specific list, but yeah, those lists almost all like one for one match. In fact, I think direct mail in some aspects still has more targeting options uh, now that now that Facebook has limited a lot of what yeah. they, they let you choose. Yeah, definitely. So especially just even magazine subscriptions and you can get all kinds of very specific lists. But uh, yeah, kind of an interesting merging of, of two worlds. You know, ultimately, after several more years, my dad ended up selling off the direct mail business and, and we spun out the division builder funnel into its own company. But, awesome. Yeah, that okay. was the, the early so- yeah, beginnings. So how long have you been doing content creation yourself as your own organization? How how important has that been to you guys? Oh, man. Gosh, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, we've been doing it for just over 10 years. And I mean, it literally built our business. You know, we we were just some little unknown division of a small company in Colorado Springs. And we just started creating content. And that was early, early on, it was blog posts. And mm-hmm. then it evolved into podcasting and videos and, and lots of social content and, and that sort of thing. But it really started with a lot of blogs, a little social and some email marketing. Um, and that's how people started to find us. And it was like, holy cow, people can they can Google stuff and find our company. And, you know, we're, we're just sitting here, you know, it seems normal today, but you know, back then it was kind of this, this odd thing. And, and it was great. Cause I was very, very 
shy and introverted uh, back then. So I was like, oh, good. I can just sit behind the computer and do all this stuff and then people will find us. <laughs> yeah. Now, how much of your content creation was based around um, recipes or craft content? Uh, oh, for like for our clients, that type. Of <laughs> I'm just, I'm just the, in general. <laughs> I'm, yeah, like, how, how, did you have like Taco Tuesday recipe cards that you like? What what kind of content were you when you say blog post? It what it, it, uh, I'm yeah, imagining it was yeah. heavily focused and targeted, right? You had to have a plan. Yeah, yeah. So we it. were, yeah. Sorry, I'm with you now. We were definitely yeah. Doing the, the it was a bad joke. Thing. No, no, no. Sorry, I'm <laughs> slow. It's Monday. I'm slow to the uptake. So <laughs> no, there was. De- you're right. There was definitely a strategy there. You know and and I think with content, it all starts with, um, you know, thinking about your clientele and what they're looking for, you know, and what they're interested in mm-hmm. learning about. And and it really, one of the easiest ways that we got started was just thinking about all the questions that people would ask us when we got on the phone together, you know, yep. so they would say, well, you know, how does Facebook work for businesses? Because that was like when Facebook business pages were the new thing. And so we would write about that. And then we would write about that as it related to home builders and remodelers in the construction space. And so, you know, I think that's where we started. It was, okay, what are the questions people are asking? And then digging a little bit deeper into the SEO weeds, doing some keyword research and figuring out what topics or phrases uh, or questions are people typing into Google that we can actually do strategic research on. And then, okay, let's go write about those. Yeah. Your inbox is obviously a huge place to look for in terms of content creation ideas. And for home builders, it's also talking to your sales reps in the model home, or if you can just sitting in the model home now and then and listening to, to what customers are asking. But you know, your salespeople, they know what people want to know more about the tension oftentimes though, is they feel like they want to not let you, the marketer, tell that story because they want people to come in the model to ask. But right. I think especially in today's environment, hopefully we're, that's one of the lessons we're learning is that withholding information is not really the best idea almost ever. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think that is one of the most challenging things that that marketers face is actually just, you know, we tried to do this early on. It was, we'll go talk to the salespeople and ask them what people are asking but when you're not in those meetings with your marketing uh-huh. hat on, if you don't have your marketing hat on, you're not really thinking content. You're just trying to answer the person's question. And so right. it was really challenging, actually, to get really good feedback from salespeople and not because it was their fault. They just weren't in those meetings. That wasn't their goal. That wasn't their objective. And so I think, you know, sitting in on meetings, uh, whether that's just jumping on a a call or actually, like you said, being in the model and being a part of those meetings and just being a fly on the wall, you sit through three or four of those and you'll have a ton of great content ideas and, and material. Um, and, and also to your point, like keeping secrets on the content side, it doesn't benefit you much because people are going to find the answer anyway. There's enough content uh-huh. there on Google and, and the web. So you might as well be the one providing them with the answer so that they're actually on your site getting the information. Yeah, I'm curious your feedback on this idea. I keep I'm trying to, to to tease it out into more meaningful content for everyone, but I really think that we've fallen into this trap as sales and marketing organizations as a whole, not just marketers, of this in-between world that I don't think anyone actually wants. So I'll, I'll give you the two extremes and then the, the fake in-between world will become pretty apparent, I think. I think on one extreme, you've got complete self-service. Customers want complete self-service 
let me do everything right. And that's what, if we had a dime for every time someone has said, why can't I just build a house the same way I can build a car on your website <laughs> and then push it out. Right. That, but that's what customers want. They want complete self-service. Mm-hmm. Leave me alone for the entire process. And then on the other extreme, they want to talk to a human, engage a human on demand whenever, however they want. And I think there's this in-between world of, of pseudo marketing automation, I'll call it, which is not, I'm not talking about email marketing with a, a nurturing campaign, but I'm talking about things like, this still blows my mind. Someone we talked to was paying $7,500 a month for a rather unintelligent chat bot hmm. on their site. a month for this thing that couldn't do either one of those things that consumers really want. Like they might put up with it, but they don't want that solution. And in in the current market situation, especially you don't want a not intelligent chat bot interacting with your extremely valuable consumer who's in short supply. But does that make sense to you? Anything in there or not, not hit, right to you in terms well, of that idea of these two extremes? I think you're right. It is kind of an interesting world because we're, we live in a prime world, right? We like stuff on demand all the time. It shows up immediately. It's cheap. You know, it's still decent quality. Um, but we, and we want to do it ourselves, right? So we'll read a hundred reviews on a $20 item, you know, uh-huh. um, because we want to do our own research you know, but then to your point too, we, if we jump on a site, we feel like we should be able to talk to somebody if we, if we want to uh, chat with them, whatever method is most comfortable for us, because we could be at lunch. So we might want to just chat or we could be on the road. So we want to be calling and driving, you know? Um, and so it is an interesting scenario. And I think you can combat uh, a lot of that or kind of play into that world heavily through content because you can Mm -hmm. at least do as much as humanly possible to have all the information available, you know, try to answer every single question, have all the best resources on your site than you, that you possibly can. Uh, And then obviously be available, you know, and and you may not be able to be available 24 seven, but you can be available pretty frequently to, to handle the people that actually do want to talk on the phone. Exactly. And I don't think chatbots as a whole are a bad idea. You know, HubSpot has one that's, that's built in. That's pretty darn good for, for what it can do. Um, But I just think this idea of spending a ton of money and energy on automating a whole part of your business because you think consumers are annoying in essence, like, (laughs) man, I wish they would just stop being so many of those people. Can't we automate this? That's, I think the danger zone that, that doesn't really exist and shouldn't exist. All right. Enough. Uh, Sorry. One more point. No, I I like this, but, uh, and then we can move on. But to your point, like right now, do we think customers are annoying? You know? So I think it's important to remember the time you're in too. Like when you're so busy and you're flooded with leads, maybe customers are annoying, but I I doubt anyone's thinking that right now. So it's all perspective, I think. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So what made you decide to start Builder Funnel Radio, start a podcast? What was what was the thought process? Tell us the behind the scenes uh, conversations uh, uh, and kind of, you know, we did the same. It's like, well, how often do we have to do it? How much work is that going to take? Can we think of things to talk about for that many episodes? Like what, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into, although I, I saw a, a tweet um, this past week, as soon as a lot of governments were shutting down, 
around the country was like, get ready for a whole bunch of new crappy podcasts. <laughs> like, so there's, there's some people who are just reacting because they don't know what else to do, but talk to us about the thought process you went through in deciding to start it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'd actually started a podcast with one of my team members about five years prior and it was before we had made the commitment to just serving the industry and I think we were on the really early edge of it because we started just getting calls and they're like, oh, yeah, I've been listening to the podcast. I was just kind of showing up, sitting down and recording because mm-hmm. I was busy at the time. And I said, hey, if you want to run this, I told you know my employee at the time, if you want to set this all up, like I'll come and do the recording with you. Like, I don't know what this podcasting thing is, but we'll do it. And uh, I think we had a pretty good audience, but we ended up shutting it down and, and, uh, you know, that kind of faded away. And so it was, it was a few years after that, that we, um, had obviously formed builder funnel and, uh, you know, moved on in that business, but we were really sitting down and thinking, okay, gosh, we've kind of been hitting the blog content for, you know, seven years now, should we be more consistent in some other mediums? And I just kept thinking about everyone's, you know, you're at the gym, you're driving in between job sites, you're, you know, you're on the road a fair amount. And yep. I know I like to get learning in when I can be multitasking either at the gym or driving, because it's uh, a great time to, to squeeze that in. Everyone's pretty busy. And so we just said, well, hey, creating a podcast will just be more helpful. It'll give our audience another way to consume. Um, and so we just we were like, okay. And then we started thinking about, like you said, frequency and strategy and what are we trying to do here? Um, but like a lot of things too, we just made the commitment. I said, hey, we're going to do this for a year and then we'll evaluate if we should keep going or not. Because I think a lot of times you jump in and you you have some false starts, you do a few episodes, you get all excited and then you stop, you know, and same with blogging. You see that with a lot of companies. And so mm-hmm. we kept it to a biweekly schedule for a while because we wanted to make sure we were consistent. And so yep. uh, we kind of figured it would be us talking and then we'd occasionally bring in guests. And after the first two episodes, like, ah, oh, this is going to get really boring really quickly. So we, <laughs> we switched to mostly guests and then uh, it's, it's evolved quite a bit from there. But That was kind of the early thought process was, hey, what's another way we can create content that just gives our consumers a different option to consume information? Yeah, cool. I I mean, we we ironically, I guess, wrote a blog post and a LinkedIn article explaining why we were starting a podcast. But, you know, the the basic thing is, you know, we would have so many good conversations one on one with people. And then it felt like every year we'd go to the builder show and people were still talking about the same two things. Yes. And we're just like, man, how as a group of, of individuals, as an industry, are we still obsessed with this old way of thinking and it, nothing against the speakers. Part of it's what's selected. I mean, it, it just, but cl- like there's conversations that happen in the hallway and those were the same too. And it was just like, man, as a, as a group, if we don't, try to elevate our, our conversation and the, the words we can use. You know, if I'm, if I'm engaging with someone whose title is VP of marketing for a company and I have to explain what CPC and PPC are, we're in big trouble. Like yeah. we've yeah. got to, we've got to get to this different <laughs> level page. Yeah. that can make us all better. So we can have more in-depth conversations. And I still wonder now and then on, on individual episodes, like how are we still not where I, I wish we would be in certain instances, but you know, I, I do think it's, it's, it's having an effect. I, I do think 
a lot more of the conversations are more nuanced. You know, there's, there's not always, there's a one answer for everything. This is the only way to do it. Um, cause marketing is not, man, it's not simple. It's, it's fun. Oh. Every day is different. There's a new challenge, but it's not a one note symphony. <laughs> it's really not. Yeah. I, I always talk about it as kind of like part art, part science. Cause there's definitely uh-huh. a sciencey part of it where you can track a lot of things, but there's the creative element and the strategy and, Every company is different. And especially when you talk about digital marketing, like everyone's website is different. Their domain authority Uh is different. Their competitors are different. Their size of their market is different. So there's just so many variables that you can't necessarily follow the same recipe for every single company. Right. Exactly. Uh, so what have you learned from doing the podcast? How many, how many episodes are you at? How, how long have you been doing it? And what, what kind of lessons have you learned besides the fact that, uh, monologue episodes are hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, good question. So yeah, we've been at it for about two and a half years now and we did ultimately go to, to a weekly cadence and then we actually just, uh, added another segment. So we're doing uh, twice a week. And then, uh, I finally convinced oh, wow. my, my dad and my uncle to do a family business segment. And uh, so we're going to do another weekly show. We'll, we'll be at three shows a week here. So we're kind of going family business segment. That's just pure on um, psychiatry. Yeah. Like counseling. Session. <laughs> you got it. Basically, as we were working through the topics, we're like, oh, man, this is kind of like therapy here. So even if uh, even if we just get the enjoyment out of it, it'll be worthwhile. Yeah. Um, the builder that I spent my the most of my time with was uh, a father who was the president or the chairman of the company and three brothers who were the CFO head of construction and the, and the president. Oh, yep. Yep. And man, there were some interesting, there are many, many interesting days and meetings and, and oftentimes one saying, Hey, when you see so-and-so, can you tell them X, Y, Z? And I'm like, you're going to go see them at soccer practice tonight. Can't you tell them that then? (laughs) Like, why am I in the middle here? Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. So yeah, we we have a lot of those dynamics going on with four generations and siblings and, you know, father, son, all all the different stuff. So we'll have some fun with it. But I think what I learned, you know, as we've been moving along is it's, it's a nice medium uh, to be able to have, like you said, conversations. And so and people will We'll listen to a conversation. It's still enjoyable and you can get a lot out of it. So it's a little more dynamic than a blog post, um, but even in some ways than video, because I feel like on video, uh, there's a little more structure to it. And I think podcasting yeah. has a, a, a nice uh, bit of unstructured you know, flow to it. And it's, it's more organic, at least, especially just in the kind of interview style uh, conversations. And so one, I've really enjoyed them. I've personally learned a lot because I get to interview people that are, you know, sure. typically speakers or thought leaders or whatever uh, it is. Um, but then also we'll typically record the video and chop that up and get it out on social. And so it gives us another avenue to distribute content through. Um, and then it, it's something interesting to to share to our email list and, you know, continue that conversation as well. So uh, I think those are a few, but the other one that was a little bit hidden to me initially, but it started popping up when I would go to different events or shows and people would come up and they say, Oh, Spencer, I've been listening to the podcast. It's great. I'm going, yes, who are you? You know, and so <laughs> suddenly 
all these people know you because you've been in their ears for 45 minutes every week, you know? And so yeah. from a, like a personal branding or a, a kind of just a general branding um, tool, I think it's unbelievable. I had um, two people this year, w- one who attended our, our in-person event called the, the online sales and marketing summit, but other person who from the podcast, both of whom one was a text, one was a phone call said, because of you, I quit my job today. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, oh, I yeah. really have to start editing and self-editing in a different way if this is the responsibility that that we have out here. But right. you're right, there is a there's a different connection, especially people that you maybe don't know at all personally uh, in, in this medium that I that I find. I mean, I love to write, but I like to write as a way to organize my thoughts mm-hmm. more so than anything else. I I really enjoy not having to worry about my grammar. That's my favorite part of podcasting. Oh man. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. I, I think I'm similar to you. I do like writing, but since podcasting, it's kind of nice to like put together a little outline or, or even nothing and just say, Hey, this is the topic let's discuss, you know? And I yep. think people can gather their own insights from a discussion. So you and I have been talking about several things and some light bulbs hopefully are going off for people that they can apply to their specific situation. But I think that happens more often with listening to a conversation for whatever reason. I don't know why, but that's... that's Yeah, I agree. And I do know people who use the podcast almost like a book club where uh, within an organization, the same, you know, not the same, but two or three different people within the organization will listen to the same episode. And then whether they go out to lunch regularly or whatever, they're, they're discussing those light bulb moments that maybe you and I didn't pick up on and go down that trail because of time, but they want to keep digging in that with each other. And I think that's, that's really exciting too. All right. Here's the, here's the million dollar question though. Okay. And hopefully you don't know where I stand on this because that'll be the most fun, but do you think builders should have their own podcast? Good question. Um, I don't know where you stand on it. So oh yes. Yeah, this so is good. We'll, we'll good, see, good, but, good. Okay. Um, I, I'm, pro for having podcasts. And here's what I'll say is I have been thinking about this concept a lot because we've been starting to talk about like, should we be recommending? It's worked really well for us. Should we be recommending this? Because we try to eat our own dog food, be kind of our own testing ground, so to speak, Mm -hmm. for different things. Um, Here's what I've kind of arrived on. Like, and it definitely depends on the size of the builder, but let's just say you're, you're in a local area, you know, maybe you serve a uh, a big metro area or a few, you know, smaller cities and towns. Uh, imagine having a podcast where you're kind of like the local show. So you bring on experts and business owners and uh, different people and you're uh, interviewing them. You're kind of like pulling out some local news. You might highlight some restaurants. You might highlight things to do, activities. Um, and you're just kind of the host, you know, as the company and the brand. Um, and suddenly now you've, you've kind of carved out some space as a local entertainment show, but guess what? You, you're sponsoring your own show. You can always drive people back to what you're doing on the building side. You can highlight new home communities in the pre-roll and the mid-roll. Um, you know, Uh so you basically, my, my, uh, my, you know, without getting into too many specifics, my big push is build an audience. So if you're trying to target a certain area, like create something that would be entertaining and interesting and fun for that demographic and then build that audience. And suddenly now you've got those opportunities to start 
pushing people, you know, towards you. But if you, if you just start out and make it pretty much about home building or remodeling, like you're only going to attract those type of people. I don't think, you know, people that are researching this are really going to like binge listen to right. podcast. Right. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I, what do you think? I think they should. And it's a little bit different spin though. So you're going after more of the consistent weekly or biweekly or some regular um, cadence to the release because of that entertainment factor of your, you know, you're hosting your own radio show for lack of a better idea, exactly. I think is what yep. you're saying. Totally. And I think that there's certain people who should take that approach if they just naturally fall in love with the medium and it's not a whole lot of extra effort on, on their plate to do so. I, I think every builder should have a podcast, but from a different perspective of you're simply creating a Netflix library of content of all different types of mediums. And so uh, I think a podcast for a home builder can be as simple as six to eight episodes that might be 10 to to 20 or 30 minutes long that are evergreen or mostly evergreen or, uh, you know, taking a customer through the, the building process and their experience one step at a time, interviewing different employees. T to me, it's all about, I, I don't think after someone is done building with your company or has made their purchasing decision, they may not, you know, be waiting on pins and needles for next week's episode release. It, there, okay. but, but I think there's a whole bunch of that part that we talked about where they get to know you, they hear your company's voice, they understand the culture, they, they know Tom from warranty, and they know Jill from drafting. Uh, and I think that there's something that if all things are equal, and, and you need a tiebreaker, the fact that they know you as a company at a different level is is worth it. But I don't, I don't know that I would recommend that home builders that we work with anyway, that I, I don't know very many who would do well with a ongoing regular show. Cause it is, as I'm sure you would agree, it is a lot of work <laughs> to keep, yeah. to keep it rolling long-term. But I think as long as you, again, and then, and then once you've got the first six or eight episodes, maybe you only need to add one a quarter or every, like whenever you have something important to say, Versus feeling, um, but, but it's, it's two, two different strategies around the same medium. I don't think yours is wrong. It's just, it's, um, it, it, it would be an, a more ongoing effort by definition of being a show. Absolutely. Well, and it's kind of like we talked about earlier, you know, you've, you said, Hey, you're having all these one-on-one -on -one conversations and maybe there's no right answer. Like in this scenario, we both sit on, uh, like we're both pro podcasting, just totally different directions and how to accomplish it and yeah. frequency and that sort of thing. Um, and I think a remodeling show, even I can get more behind that. I'm not sure why. Well, here, I guess, why. Because, uh, well, okay. I, well, yeah, help me, help me, <laughs> tell me why there for you. So here, I think the, the application for remodelers is a lot easier to, at least I, it came to me as, okay, Hey, if you're a remodeling company, uh, bring on yeah. some designers, bring on some architects, right. Bring on, um, you know, those type of interview them, even if nothing else, you're saying, Hey, come on my show. We'll have a conversation. I'll promote your company. And now you've formed, you know, mm -hmm. 24 new relationships in a year. If you do it every, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever, if yeah. people all send you one more job, you know, every year or every two years, like you, you've, you know, added some, some influence in your area, even if you don't really build an audience, because now those people know you, you met with them in person. So I think you could use it as a networking tool. Uh, in that. Instance. Absolutely. There's a company, there's a remodeling company here called Dave Fox and they, every Sunday for, I think two hours, they're on AM radio 
And awesome. I, I listen to it on my way to church with my kids in the car and it annoys the crap out of them. <laughs> but for the 15 minutes that we're in the car, I'm like, this is good stuff. And it doesn't exist anywhere except for this one moment in time. Like, I don't yeah. know what they're paying to, for the studio time. Maybe they're paying nothing because AM radio is so hard up for content. I don't know. But the fact that this doesn't exist somewhere for people to listen through previous archived episodes in an easy format on their own website or in their own you know, podcast feed. It just blows my mind that they're putting all that great stuff out there and it's just, it's ephemeral. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Um, well, I'll throw in one more, uh, one more thought on this. And that yeah. is, I think there's this interesting concept and I don't know how, how far out there it is. You can tell me, uh, but <laughs> if you, let's say you start a podcast and you, you start building this audience and you have a weekly cadence or biweekly or whatever it is, once you have the audience, you can actually start to turn your part of your marketing budget into a revenue center because now you can bring on uh, a mortgage company as a sponsor and they are actually going to pay you to be featured on your podcast and you could bring on you know other companies. So I think there's uh, for certain companies, I don't think it's right yeah. for everybody, but I think that's an interesting play if you start thinking about yourself truly as a media company. Um, and then you also happen to build homes or you happen to read. Absolutely. I think from a co-op marketing perspective, which a lot of home building companies, I'm so shocked when I talk to them, they don't even realize that such a thing exists where you can get money if you build enough homes from, from Lennox, from Anderson, from Kohler, from, uh, James Hardy even used to give us quite a bit of money as well as sales tools and, and other great stuff. And if you're, if you're a leading builder or remodeler, in terms of brand and reputation and other companies follow you, especially those guys would love nothing better than for you to be, uh, you know, when James Hardy was trying to enter the Pittsburgh market, they're like, Heartland, you guys are the, the leader in terms of anyone of any size. And if we can get our product on your houses, like we know everyone else is going to follow suit. So whatever you need from us <laughs> to make this happen, we'll make it happen. And, and so I think that's a great way to get co-op dollars from, from different uh, vendors and suppliers, as well as exposure for them. Absolutely. You know, that, yeah. So awesome. Well, Spencer, thanks so much for hopping on today. I know in the middle of all this going on, it's, it's a little bit of extra overtime hours for all of us keeping up with, with all the shifts and changes, but appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, no, happy to, to be here. I enjoyed the conversation and thank you very much for the invite. <laughs>